Hello everybody and welcome back to the Glory Glory Man United podcast. I'm your host as always, Kyle Quinn, and joining me today is James Rhodes from the Man United Muppeteers. How's it going, James? Pretty good. It's going pretty well. A good, uh, good day after after yesterday and I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm sure it's a great day for all Manchester United fans. Though it didn't seem that way when Pedro Neto scored after about 95 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I was... Where do we start with that game? Um, I'm going to start from the beginning. Um, yep. It's not an exaggeration to say United should have been 5 up at halftime. Um, so many wasted chances. And I was getting, at halftime, at 2-0, I was already getting post-traumatic stress disorder from thinking about Copenhagen and Galatasaray. Um, and that nearly happened again, only for the, the brilliance of Kobe Menu uh, at the end of the game, announcing himself on the world stage. And now people are comparing him to to do. Jude Bellingham already. Um, so what did you make of the game then, James? Yeah, it's 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 funny in, in a frustrating way what you said because uh, I thought that the first half it looked a lot more like last season, you know, um, in terms of how they were playing, in terms of the setup, in terms of the style. It was, you know, we're getting a lot of chances in transition quickly, playing well. And, um, you know, and... Yeah, but this year you have this feeling, like you said, at halftime where we I used to feel like it was inevitable we'd come back and win. And now you feel like it's inevitable we're going to throw it away and lose. And uh, and it's like every best effort goes into into that. So that that is definitely a, a sentiment we've got to get or get a get away from because it's but it's it's happened so many times this year and it nearly did again it's like two goal lead is not even close to enough anymore it's it's kind of wild uh, something has to has to improve there but they could have scored a lot more in the first half certainly probably should have uh created well strongest team that they fielded this season so far and uh i thought it was a it looked a lot more like you know, what we saw last season in terms of how players were positioned, how they were set up, how they were playing, uh, a little less dangerous, a little less open in the first half. But uh, at some point, that all kind of changed, unfortunately. Yeah, I thought United absolutely dominated probably the first 60 minutes and then yeah. inevitably let Wolves back into the game with a contentious penalty, which the VAR Paul Tierney, who was the referee for the Liverpool-Chelsea game, with, where Chelsea were denied you know, a couple of clear penalties, I thought. Um, so, and ironically, he didn't give uh, Van Dijk's foul on Christopher Nkunku the night before, but he, he watched uh, Casemiro's supposed foul on Pedro Neto about a thousand times before sticking with the on-field decision. Um, and then McTominay scored to make a 3-1. It was that's much like the Galatasaray game. I think McTominay made a 3-1 in that game as well. And then United threw it away. Um, but oh, remarkable intervention from, from Manu at the end. Um, I mean, I know uh, Amari Forzan got the assist, but it was an individual goal, really, wasn't it? And uh, not Megan, the first defender, taking a pass there, I think. Uh, Fozan was used as a decoy to take a few defenders away and then the space opened up for him and he curled it into the bottom corner um, what a moment that was for the young man yeah uh, it was it was incredible and obviously that's what you know his first Premier League goal and his uh, second goal as a senior with just the, the goal the other day as well and what a moment for it uh, it's just a 
a habit for these young United Academy kids to come through and do something like this, isn't it now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some of them have done to have great careers at United, others not so much, like Makeda, yeah. for example. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Already somebody in the comments saying update on director football. I do intend to get to that in the, in the second <laughs> part of the show. I, yeah. I, knew, I knew somebody was going to say that. Um, yeah, so mm -hmm. we'll start with the first goal. Um, Marcus Rashford, um, he's been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons in the build-up to the game, but scored after five minutes. Um, another assist for Rasmus Hoyland, lovely hold-up play on the layoff. And then, rather than smash it, as Rashford quite often does, he placed it, didn't he? It was a fantastic finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought he was very composed. I mean, obviously, I do think there was a degree of wanting to prove a point. Uh, at the same time, you know, personally, when I look at some of the difficulties and struggles, and by the way, as I, I tweeted this yesterday, I'm obviously, a, if people follow me, a bit of an unabashed Rashford fan. I... I uh, I don't apologize for uh, for supporting him the way that I do, but uh, he's got five games in a row with goal contributions, and you wouldn't think so based on how things have been said. Three games in a row in the Premier League with a goal now for United. Um, a big part of it is the change in the system, a change in the structure, the way that the front three are playing together, especially since Garnacho has moved to the right. Uh, where Rashford is not so much sitting on the touchline anymore, you know, miles wide um, out of the spaces. So he scored a goal from central, right, top of the box, right in the middle of the goal to the right side. Uh, he tends to score more from the middle or closer to the middle than, than the other areas for sure. Uh, but the combinations with Luke Shaw were fantastic, something we saw so much of last year that we have literally not gotten to see at all this season uh, we finally saw again those overlaps were, you know, it, it takes only one or two to make a goal every time. It's practically automatic when when they can get that going. It's it's so dangerous and um, big part of what worked last year. So I was really happy to see that. And I think that that's a kind of like your working formula to build off of for, for Rashford and for the front three is that setup with Shaw making those runs and and I think you're going to get chances every single game like that but uh you know it was good to see and it was fun to see I think the OA fans taking uh, having some fun with the situation as well with the with the songs and all of that too and uh you know cuz some people you know it's it's something that has gotten so serious and so there's been so much discourse about it it's it's uh, it's nice to have a, see them all have some fun with the situation I think yeah, once he scored, then the seriousness was taken out of it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, hopefully this is the start of him getting back to his form from last season and he can finish this season strongly and maybe finish with 15 goals, maybe, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the second goal uh, was an overlapping run from Shaw. I think it started off from good play from Garnacho. Yep. And then it ended up with... Uh, Rashford running at the fullback, um, laying it off the show who crossed. And I think it bounced off a defender, and then Hoyland got the, the last touch, and it went in. A bit of a, a scruffy goal, as Hoyland said himself, but mm -hmm. they all count. And you want to see an end number nine get goals like that. Um, yeah, we, yeah. We haven't haven't got enough of those. Um, so it was a great team goal, that one. Uh, and then with so many chances to get the third goal, it was, we were, I think it was turned my hair right. And we'd even had two disallowed for offside just at the yeah. end of the half. Yeah. 
it just felt like it was it was just wasn't going to happen and then the more chances we missed the more it felt inevitable that we were <laughs> going to pull one back yep yeah uh, and that's exactly what happened um but yeah as, as i said earlier it was a very debatable penalty um they gave it in in the end uh, Casemiro was on a yellow, so that was I was very worried that if they gave the penalty, they were going to send him off as well. But thankfully, that didn't happen. I suppose it was such a soft penalty, you couldn't justify giving him a second yellow, really. Uh, maybe yeah, was- I mean, that would have been incredibly harsh to do that. To I mean, it, it you know, it's debatable in terms of a foul. I can see why it's called, I can see it. I don't necessarily agree with it because I think you see a lot more contact and not get called for penalties very often. But they seem to be so focused on because it was like the legs are all out and in the open that it's like, well, foot to leg contact, we're just gonna call it a penalty. But yeah, that that was that was a little bit a little bit hairy. And you know, I have concerns. I, I thought there was good moments from Casemiro, but I thought he still looks quite a bit off the pace. Um, especially at some some times in the first half where it practically looked like he was standing still as players were running by him in the midfield. There's a the setup was a little bit better to cover for that. I think there was a little bit more support and, but uh, yeah, I have a lot. I have some worries about Casemiro. I mean, I know he's just back from injury, so hopefully he gets back to it. But he hasn't. I don't think even before the injury, I don't think he looked like himself uh, to start the season either. And and I think that's going to be something that has a big impact on the rest of the on the rest of the season. Um you know, as to whether he can get back to some of the higher performance levels because we can't go on conceding two, three goals a game and expect to get results. Yeah, we've got wins in the in the last two games by scoring four in each match, but we've also conceded five goals across those two games, which we can't be doing that long-term, as you say. Um, yeah. So the third United goal came from a corner. Very rare we see United score from a set piece. Um, McTominay headed it down and, and into the net, um, which is what mm. you want to do. Yeah. Like, that, that should always be the target when when you, you receive a cross from a from open play or a, a corner. You, you head it down and, and let it bounce up into the net. Make it difficult for the yeah. goalkeeper to save it. Um, so job well done there from McTominay. And then United kind of conceded from their own corner then. And that was yeah. very, very disappointing. And I have to say, Andre Onana did not cover himself in glory there. Um, and again, for the third goal, I felt, um, didn't even, he just was a statue, really. Um, even though we can look at Varane, um, but uh, Onana, well, I, I, think, I thought he was very poor for both goals, especially the second one. Um, and di- didn't cover himself in glory all evening, really. Um, and it is becoming a huge, a huge concern. Um, like he doesn't even start for Cameroon anymore, isn't it? His cousin mm. who starts ahead of him. Yeah, plays. that's what I heard. Yeah. Um, and I believe his cousin plays in the third tier French football or something like that. Um, but uh, Ten Hag is so loyal to him and brought him straight back in. And I'm, I'm, I fear that now this is Ten Hag's best eleven to start last night, and we want to see as much of that between now and the end of the season. Yeah. Um, we want to see that eleven start most games, but I fear that there's going to be games where Onana's going to cost us. What do you think, James? Yeah, I, you know, it's it's concerning. I think that the problem, I think there's a couple of issues with it, which is that, you know, it, we seem to end up in so many situations, especially offset pieces, um, but in many situations where it requires quick 
you know, down low reaction saves in order to prevent a goal and, and, and saves you might expect a, a good goalkeeper to make, but not Onana's strengths for sure. Uh, they're not, these are not where he's good. This is not, you know, what he's best at. And it's kind of a combination where if we keep playing, you know, offensively, that best 11 was really productive defensively. It's still obviously, especially as you start making subs over there, any changes at all. Um, but even at some moments in the first half, it, it, it left and uh, allowed for a lot of opportunities uh, as we've kind of seen all year where teams can really get at us. If we can keep ending up in situations where there's a lot of set pieces against us, where there's a lot of, you know, uh, pressure and we invite a bit too much, then his, his, uh, his sort of weakness in terms of those quick reaction type saves and things like that are going to continue to come to the forefront and be a problem where it's almost like, you know, we might as well have a more De Gea style keeper in net, you know, making reaction saves, it might be more beneficial. Um, so it's, it's tricky because it is that combination of how do we want to play and are we really playing the way that we should to suit his strengths or are we accentuating the weaknesses, which I think is what's happened quite a bit. Yeah, I've been saying on this show that um, we should have kept De Gea and not bought Mason Mount or Onana and, and spent the money on Harry Kane. And I think we would we would have been mm-hmm. a, a better side if we'd have done that. But you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um yeah, he's not a he's not a great shot stopper at all, um, based on what we've saw in yeah. the first half of the season. Um you know, for instance, the third goal last night, I could see and the second goal even more so, I could see De Gea's, you know, saving at least one of those. Um but yeah, o- Onana also didn't cover himself in glory when he came for that cross. Was was got nowhere near it, and Martinez had to clear the ball off the line. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, I thought Martinez was absolutely brilliant last night, and how yep. wonderful it is yep. to have him back on the team. Now, the only concern is that he came off from Maguire and had ice applied to his foot. That's a bit worrying ahead of the weekend, isn't it? Yeah, although I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, from from as I gather it, uh, it's kind of, you know foot injuries can be weird, but He's also just back. I expect he's going to deal with inflammation and like a little bit of excess swelling for a while, but I don't think there's going to be any, any problems or there's nothing injury wise to be expected. I think that was confirmed too, but that was just some soreness and things like that. And I do think he'll deal with that for a while, you know, multiple surgeries on a foot, they, they heal weird. It, it's one of those things, but obviously he looked like he was more back to his level um, but I think he's going to deal with some of that swelling and things, especially for a little while as he gets back into a rhythm. But uh, clearly, clearly our best uh, center back and clearly somebody who makes a huge impact on on the team. Uh, just, uh, you know, undoubtedly. I mean, if there's one player we could consider from the last couple of years and an extreme success in terms of signing, it's it's Lissandra Martinez. And he he's a there's there's no there's no doubt that you know he's going to be healthy top of every list in terms of who goes right into your team to make an impact and and assist you in in improving upon things and of course when he went off uh, that was the beginning of the collapse wasn't it mm, um, yeah yeah and just to be fair that- you know having to clear it off the line we were obviously conceding a few chance more chances than we should have before he came off but uh, but yes, yeah, it, it's it. You do lose some 
there's a lot of changes in there, but it is true. You know, when, when he's not playing, I think it's, we're better when he plays. That's just obvious, you know, a reality of it. Even within the games, we're better when he's on the pitch, no doubt. Yeah. And I said before the game, you know, Tin Hag has complained that he hasn't been able to select his first choice 11 um, yeah. for a very long time. And, Clearly, that was his first choice eleven last night, um, and I said there can be zero excuses if United don't do well in this game, and they were they were dominant for the first sixty minutes really. Yeah. So it just shows you what a difference it can make whenever you have your, your strongest team. And United obviously don't have, you know, they don't have the squad of Manchester City or Liverpool where we lose a couple of key players and we can do without them because we've got quality yeah. on the bench. United just don't have that strength and depth. Um, so it was crucial to have our best players in the pitch last night, and that was the main reason why we got the result. Um, so I have to ask you about Ten, ten Hag's substitutions. Now, I know we won the game, and I don't want to be too negative about it, but not for the first time this season, um, Ten Hag's substitutions had a negative impact on our performance. Mm. Um, okay, McTominay scored, fair enough, but uh, he took off the entire front three eventually, and he brought on Forzan, Johnny Evans, and Anthony. And Anthony, um, he tried to take on two players, tried to dribble past two players uh, when we were 3-2 up and you know, defending a lead and gave it away. And that led to the counter-attack, which Neto scored from. Um, was senseless from, from Anthony. Um, so I was thinking, Tin Hag, he obviously brought on uh, Johnny Evans for Garnacho as well. And was being set up defensively to see out the game. But then once they got the equalizer, I was thinking to myself, well, we have enough attacking players on the pitch here yeah. um, to make it 4-3. But Menu just decided to to take on the three Wolves defenders and then uh, curl one into the bottom corner, which we, you know, you expect that from a forward player, probably not your your, your CDM. You don't expect it from him, but uh, he is just a quality all around individual. He's just, he can, there's nothing. I think the only thing that he's really lacking is pace, but as a Saturday midfielder, that's not crucial. He's just got yeah. absolutely everything to his game. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I was I was concerned at three each because we didn't, I didn't think we had, we were set up to defend um, and we didn't have enough forward players on the pitch at the time, but luckily, um, with Manu producing that moment of quality, it didn't really matter in the end. But what did you make of uh, Ten Hag's substitutions? Yeah, they've been really odd for a lot of the season. I think uh, it's kind of um, they're kind of at times a bit of desperation substitutions. It feels like very often where you know there's a couple of ways you could go about it, which is do you go for more control? It feels like last season he would have brought on, you know, Christian Eriksen to gain a little bit of possession, to hold the ball, to slow the game down, to keep possession, to keep the threat away from our area instead of kind of inviting it more and more and hoping you can defend it, which is kind of what it felt like. You know, I understand throwing on an extra center half and, you know, very, very late, but yeah, it was, I I don't know. They're a bit confusing. Uh, You know, Anthony, you know, it's like I said, you know, Phil was asking me in our podcast earlier if that goal, you know, scoring against Newport and all that was start of him improving his form. And I said, the problem with him is it's not form. He doesn't have the quality to beat Premier League defenders. He doesn't have the quality to, to win. He relies on that. So when he plays against lower competition, he can look good. 
because he'll beat them individually. And that's exactly what cost him in this game against Wolves, giving the ball away, thinking he has the quality to beat these players. He's, he's reliant on it, and he doesn't. Um, he doesn't have that quality, for sure, to take on Premier League-level defenders and, and win those individual battles. And so it results in a lot of kind of problems, you know, losing the ball in dangerous positions and moments when you shouldn't and all of that. But, you know, obviously Ahmad is on the bench. You think that could have been a different type of substitution, uh, you know, who somebody who I think is a little, I mean, we'll see. We have to see a lot more of Ahmad to see what kind of player he is in the Premier League, of course. But, yeah, I mean, options are limited too, but it does seem like the setup or the direction of the changes is a bit too much inviting pressure this season. And, and it tends to do that and invite pressure and then, for whatever reason, we are not a team that can withstand that pressure. When we, we just give up goals. We always have, we do this whole year. Anytime we start backing up, we give up goals. And, and that has not always been the case. I think that obviously under Jose Mourinho, there was a lot of times of inviting pressure where we didn't give up goals. And under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there was a lot of games where we were able to hold on to leads as well you know, late in games and and kind of hold on to it. And and that's been a serious weakness this year is if we invite pressure, we concede. So you kind of think if that's the case, maybe we we don't invite pressure. And and that would be my main my main concerns with the substitutions, you know, in the end. We we don't have a lot a ton of options off the bench, but you know, I think players like Christian Erickson, that's this this is more where they have a use is to come on and help you control the game a little bit more to we, yeah, we saw that. I felt like that was a one of the ways Christian Eriksen made a big difference at times it, as a substitute was to come on and kind of get you the ball, have you hold it, help retain it, and uh, and reduce pressure that way. So, you know, but uh, I guess we'll see. We, we, we will see how it, it's, it's curious with this stronger 11 when we go into the next game with having all these players back. What happens? Do we continue to make those goal scoring chances? Do we continue to see these defensive problems? Um, you know, or or does it start to really build on it? And and can they last 70, 80 minutes before making a, you know, tons of substitutions that will allow us to maintain that flow for a bit longer? Yeah, uh, in the recent past, uh, the game against Forest, uh, Ten Hag definitely got it wrong with the halftime substitution of McTominay for Menu. Yes, yes. Um, and also in that game, he made a surprising decision to bring uh, Ahmad Diallo on after about 55 minutes mm-hmm. or so. And I thought Diallo was very good in that cameo, um, but has not played at all since then. It's just, uh, he, he didn't even get a single second against Newport. Um, again, uh, Ten Hag preferred Forzan last night to Amadiello. I don't understand mm-hmm. why he's done this with Palestri as well, where they get a they get a chance and then you don't see them again for another month. Uh, I don't understand that 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 management of a young player. You know, whenever he's somebody's done well from the bench, they should then come off the bench in the next game. I, I feel. Um, how do you see it, James? Yeah, it it's kind of surprising. We have seen a few moments of that because, yeah, I did expect that Ahmad would play a bit more. And I think that there's been a little bit of a like um, it's hard to understand the patterns. You know how player. You know outside of like scoring a goal, it's hard to see the patterns in terms of how players get selected and chosen. And I think personally, I I 
from what I gather, I think there's a little bit of a lack of understanding among the players as well as to what they have to do to get selected or what they did to not get selected or something like that. And, uh, and I do think that I, I understand there's a value in some unpredictability, but at the same time, I think the players need, I think it would help if it was a little more and, and, and with the first 11 backs kind of obvious, I think now who's going to be starting each and every week, but the substitutions are kind of wild. I mean, I thought Ahmad did well, hasn't come on since then. Now Forsen's ahead of him. He did well too, to, you know, in, in getting the assist and, and such last night. But it is a, it is a bit curious. I'm not really sure. I don't. I, I honestly don't think any of us can could sit there and say, yeah, we know who's going to get a chance next, who's going to be coming on next, who's going to be the the substitutes. They've been uh, very unpredictable, and sometimes to good result, and a lot of times to bad results this season from from a substitution standpoint. So. That's something I think he'll have. He's gonna have to settle on a little bit um, with the with the strongest eleven and and figure out. Okay, this is exactly what I'm gonna do in each and every game based on the game state and situation. So, yeah, I think a little less, a little more predictability might be beneficial at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. You just never know who's gonna who's gonna come on, and who's gonna come off uh, from game to game. Um, another. V- Proud stat um, from Manchester United, which I read today. Um, the last three 90th minute winning goals in the Premier League by players aged 18 or younger have come from Man United players. This is Rashford against Hull in 2016, Garnacho against Fulham in 2022, mm. and Kobe Menu last night. Um, so yeah. United continue to produce you know, stars from the academy. Um, I've got a few of them in the first team at the moment. Um, so it's yeah. something to be proud of. Um, so I want to come on to what you were saying just, just earlier there about the Casemiro. Mm. Now, at the moment, we can kind of put it down to, you know, lack of match fitness, but he was playing like this earlier in the season. He doesn't yeah. look like the player that he was last season. Um, he's... It's a, uh, I was going to say he lunges into challenges, but he, he even did that last season as well. You know, like he got booked after about a few minutes in this game with a needless lunge, uh, which he didn't have to do. And um, that's just who he is. I think you're never going to stop mm-hmm. him from doing that. Um, and he takes risks while he's on the yellow as well. Um, but he does look a bit off the pace. Um, and maybe he is starting to age now. And it, it might be a good idea to move him on in, in the summer. But uh, let's hope we, he does recover um, his form from last season and we can see the best of him. But I'm, I'm skeptical at this point. I, I don't think we'll see the best Casemiro anymore. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, so I'm going to do um, some player ratings. So let me know, James, if you disagree with any of these. Um, sure. So the first one's going to be via Harsh. Uh, Onana, a two out of ten. Um, Dallow, a five. Varane, a five. Martinez, a seven. Um, probably would have been higher if he hadn't conceded so many goals. I was looking at towards Martinez at being man of the match when it was when it was 2-0. Um, not that he was to blame for any of the goals, but it's hard to give someone an 8 out of 10 mm-hmm. when you've conceded three goals. You know? yeah. But Shaw, a seven as well. So great link-up play with Rashford down that left-hand side, as always. Manu, my man of the match. I thought he was brilliant even before the goal, to be honest with you. Um, so good defensively with his interceptions, so good in tight areas, always picks out the right pass. Um, 
he really is just like an even better version of Michael Carrick. Um, I think it was um, Rio Ferdinand compared him to Clarence Seedorf. That's very high praise indeed. Mm -hmm. um, but it, I wish he wouldn't do that because Rio has a reputation of getting carried away too quickly uh, when it comes to United. Um, everybody remembers you know, when uh, United won in Paris under Solskjaer, what, what Rio yeah. said that night. It was too premature. Um, yeah, Manu a nine, Casemiro five, Bruno five, Rashford a six, Hoyland a seven. It was given one of the match by UK television. Um, I, I liked Hoyland's performance, but I, I didn't think he was my man of the match. Um, Garnacho a five. I'm involved in, the, in Hoyland's goal, but... Um, a frustrating performance uh, overall for Garnacho. Yep. And Ten Hag, um, critical of his substitutions, but we got the results. So, and one of his subs did score. So, six out of 10 for him. Uh, any changes that you would make to those, James? Uh, no, I pretty much agree with it. Um, yeah, I, I, I pretty much agree with it. It was an interesting game because there's a lot of players, I think, who played pretty well despite, in the end, conceding three goals. Uh, it's just one of those weird games, you know, in that respect. So uh, where I wouldn't put too much on individuals, especially in the starting 11, I think there was nobody who was bad in that, you know, in that starting 11, Casemiro probably the worst of the, of the, of the, and Onana, I guess you, you might have a little bit in, but, uh, but otherwise I think everybody was pretty good. Um, somebody in the comments, not very happy with Dalu's five there. He, 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 yeah. He, um... That's the only one that stuck in my mind because there's there's a lot of people who who really write Dallow thought he had a fantastic game. Um, I think there's there has been things he does really well, but I I said it to some people afterwards, and I know people always disagree with this. I think Dallow is extremely passive at times in the box when the ball is in there, uh, gets kind of frozen at the post, frozen at the line when he could prevent a goal, uh, and I think that happened as well last night and and it it's something i think he could improve a lot because a big part of our set pieces a big part of those bounces around in the box i'm often seeing him frozen on the line and not challenging the player who's there getting an open shot in the box uh and it, same with crosses from his side i think very often he lets it happen too much and i think that's probably the main weakness in his game for me the way I view fullbacks, when I see fullbacks make mistakes in my eyes that lead to goals, I don't like it. I still see them as defenders first in that respect. Um, and that, the, you know, those there's been a lot of games, I think, this season where Dallow's been decent on the ball, but it's still made mistakes that lead to goals. And I think from a defensive standpoint, you can't make a, a mistake that leads to a goal. You can't. You can't do that. I think it's sort of you still have to take that as your first priority is to not give up goals. Uh, that's my thought on it. You, you, uh, let me. You, you gave him a five. So what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Um. Is he, like so many occasions where he has been just caught ball watching and not watching yeah. uh, the 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 man he's supposed to be marking. And um, done that against Tottenham, against Newport for their equalizing goal. He must have been 20 yards away from their left yeah. winger. He just got a free cross. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, last night, yeah, it's debatable. I, I was, I was actually thinking to myself to go for a five or a six. I was, and I just went for a five because I'm not as a bigger fan of of Dallow than, than some people. And I know, but if 
people want to give him a 60, and I won't, I won't disagree with that. Um, but yeah, there are so many flaws to his game. But he has he has improved, I think, in, yep. in, in recent times. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- yeah, there are games where he can be really good for the most part, and they'll even make a mistake that leads to a goal. Um, I just think um, Juan Bissaka obviously is the much better defender, but uh, Dalla was obviously preferred by Ten Hag because he wants his his right back to be more of a wing back. Um, mm-hmm. so, but I do think we're, we need to sign. I think I've got a feeling we're going to sell Juan Bissaka this summer and, and bring in somebody else. Um, now, you know, Fring Pong's being talked about. He's a very attacking fullback, isn't he? Yeah. Um, yeah. And with him being Dutch, and if Ten Hag's still there, you, you could easily see that one happening. Um, but yeah, I do feel we're, we probably will move on Masako on and bring in uh, someone who's who's better than than Dallo. Um, I think we need to because um, if you look at Manchester City and Liverpool, for example, the quality of their their fullbacks, you know, their you know, Dallo wouldn't get into their team. Um, so. Uh, I think that's an area we need to improve. But Dalo, he is doing reasonably well in in recent times. To be fair to him, um. So I wanted to ask you about a, a few things then, um, off the pitch. So mm-hmm. we know that Omar Barada is going to be the CEO. Um, not quite sure when he's going to start that role. I think he's on gardening leave. Um, mm-hmm. but we haven't appointed a director of football yet. We are expecting. Ineos to get their ratification very, very soon. could be any day now, uh, as we're into February. Um, so, uh, James, are we any closer to knowing who the director of football is now going to be? And like, I think we're, we know who it's not going to be, uh, Paul Mitchell, but uh, <laughs> yeah. do, do we know who it's going to be yet? No, we don't. We don't. We really don't. Uh, but it is narrowing. I mean, it's funny because it's narrowing and widening at the same time because one might look at it and say, well, all right, you know, Paul Mitchell, Dan Ashworth, Ward, Dougie Freeman, those four main kind of names that had come out at some point, all with English experience and and all of that. And then you start kind of crossing those names off, but then you say, but but hang on a second. Could it be Berta? Could it be, you know, Nepe from who left Bayern? Could it be this guy from Portugal? And when you look at what happened with Barada, you do get the sense they're not just going for the obvious name, which is a good thing. I think it's what's extremely promising uh, on that is they're, they're going to make decisions for the right reason. And it shouldn't have anything to do with fan sentiment. It shouldn't have anything to do with who is popular. It shouldn't have anything to do with who people know or who is like, it's good to see that because it's something that I think at United has not been the case for some time. Uh, and that's makes it a little bit unpredictable. The other reason, of course, that it's a, it's unpredictable is because they can't do it until this is ratified, which is expected to be next week. And so it's a little quiet there. It's a little bit like, well, they can't really make those offer that job. They can't really make that move until that's done. But then I do think it'll it, we will find out pretty soon. So in in that respect, we're closer. I think we're going to start finding out very soon who the serious names are uh, and probably who it is uh, in in specific very shortly. You know, as James Ducker telegraphs it is down to two people. I, that's probably true. And as we start crossing those names off, it's just it may not be those it may not be like Ashworth or Friedman. It might be 
you know, one of those names and somebody we have no idea about right now. Uh, and, and that's always a possibility. So we'll see, you know, we'll see, you know, Barada came out of the blue. This could come out of the blue in a similar way. It could, I think that with it not being someone like Paul Mitchell, then it's less likely to be leaking. You know, when you have people who have a lot, who are in a job, it's probably not going to leak. You know, when you get, if it's someone like Dougie Friedman or Ashworth, it's probably going to be sudden, similar to Barada. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I am very curious as, as to, as to what happens. Then there's also the question of when do they join, especially if they are somebody in a job, um, because do they have to as well go on gardening leave? I mean, you, you bring someone in from somewhere like Palace, they probably don't need to. I mean, you're probably not worried about competing between those two clubs. I can understand the City United relationship with Barada, but yeah, I, I think we're really soon to find out now. I think that we are really close to, fortunately, and and uh, and and I think that's very exciting for all of us. Yeah, so we're just waiting for David Ornstein's tweet to come right any, any, <laughs> any day and I. Yeah. Um, TJ Moran here says, "Would either of you take Julian Ward? Would you Would you be happy with that appointment, James?" I mean, to be quite honest, I'd be happy with practically any of the names mentioned, considering the, our history and and what's gone on. I don't think. Obviously, you want really good people. I don't think it's nearly as hard as it's been made out or that we've experienced, we feel like it's, it's, it's a hard job because it's the gulf between even any decent director of football and sporting structure and what we've had is massive. And so this isn't a marginal gain, you know, at United, this is a huge gain at United, this, this thing here, it's going from practically nothing to something. And so when you consider that, despite all of that, because of the, you know, the, the fan power, because of the, the, the size of the club, because of all the history and because of some of the good work that has been done in the academy, which there's credit to John Murtaugh on that with some of the young players we have right now. Uh, we've been able to get second multiple times, won a few trophies. So I think that anybody who is really an established director and gets the remit to bring in players and align a, a, a structure with Omar Barada and a, and a style and a direction, I think practically any of the names mentioned I'd be happy with. But more so, I also think I trust that they're going to make the right choice. So whatever they pick, you know, there's a little bit of confirmation bias in that, but it's good confirmation bias. I think they're smart people. I think they're going to make the right choices. So I'm going to absolutely be happy with whoever they select, whatever that name is. Yeah, me too. Um, like you say, all of those names would be an improvement. Um, I think Dan Ashworth is the one that people are probably most familiar with and sure. would like to see yeah. him, but all of them uh, are qualified, um, unlike Edward Wood and, and then a few others. Um, and just on that, um, the current football director, John Murta, does he have a future at the club? Or is he going to move on or is he going to be given another role? What do you think? Yeah, obviously that's something that's been kind of up for discussion and, and debate. And, and I don't think anybody knows in particular. Uh, he's been obviously, though, if you if you look at what's what's happened, he's been somebody who's been in regular discussions with Dave Brailsford um, in person at games commonly. You know, 
he's somebody who, as I understand, was Ineos did lean on pretty heavily, even since, uh, what was it like, uh, since the start of the process from maybe May or June, when, when there was like, Ineos started thinking, we're probably going to get there in the end that uh, he's been someone they've been reliant on for information on what's happening, on understanding things. He's the most clued in person to the football side of United and has all the information and there's positives that he's done. Um, I think it's personally, I'm leaning towards that he gets a different role and stays at the club. I'd be surprised if he has like a better offer somewhere else than that but you never know in, in football you know you never know what the reputation of people are behind the scenes compared to how people might view them and like fans might see things and all of that uh because he is an experienced person in football and maybe he there's a director job at somewhere else uh that uh, that he could take that would be an upgrade from whatever he might have at united after the you know ratification and and, and all of that so I'm leaning, I'm leaning towards that he stays on in a different role. That's what I'm leaning towards. But, uh, you know, I, I don't think he's somebody that they view as really to blame for the way that things have gone. And I understand why, because the setup, the organization, the, the, the structures, it's hard to blame anybody down from the practically the Glazers or the CEO in terms of, you know, what do they do? What are they allowed to do even? You know, it, it gets so complicated there. And, and I think that is understood by Ineos as well. Yeah, I do think John does have talents. He does have qualities yeah. that are useful to, to football clubs. And there's a reason why he's been in the game so long. But yeah. I don't think he should have been shoehorned into football director sure. role, you know, just to keep sure. him there. Wasn't he offered a, a role at uh, Inter Miami? Um, David mm -hmm. Beckham's franchise, but uh, yep. I know the United were desperate to keep him, so give him the football director role. Um, yep. But obviously, he caused some uh, controversy, shall we say, with the the Jude the Jude Bellingham fiasco. You know, with uh, mm -hmm. what happened there with with Fergie and all. Um, yeah. Fergie and Gill were there last night. Um, big smiles on their faces when Manu scored. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> Good to they, see. Yeah, Fergie is obviously one of the most important figures in United's history. But uh, you know, it, we have to be honest and say that them two men played a major role in the Glazers coming to Manchester United. And yep. you know, that's what that has to be recognised, I suppose. But yep. uh, you know, everybody has their flaws, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and Fergie gets away with it because of the thirteen Premier League titles, the five FA Cups, two Champions Leagues, just a few things. Yeah, yeah just yeah. <laughs> David Gill, not so much. He 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 doesn't have <laughs> the, the CV to get away with it. Um, <laughs> so James Ducker of the Telegraph has also uh, been saying that Ten Hag's future will be delegated to Barada and the new director of football. Um, now, I've been a critic of some of Ten Hag's in-game management um, the, the 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 tactics, the defending from set pieces, the 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 lack of goals from set pieces, and the substitutions and and so on. And obviously the results this season have been really bad. We're finishing bottom of the Champions League group, which they easily should have got out of. Um, I know circumstances have not been easy for him, um, but I'm still not convinced by him. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think he'll be there in August, James? <clears throat> I have obviously the same concerns uh, and all of that. 
I would lean towards that, no, that he won't be here next season. And I say that because, you know, one, it's extremely uh, common for when there's changes in ownership and management for these types of roles to change. Um, two, obviously the results and things that have happened on the pitch have not been that great. Three, Ineos want to run things a lot differently than Ten Hag has agreed to in this current role. And um, it's going to be difficult to accept a minimized or diminished responsibility and diminished role within the club uh, that he would have to accept in order to stay in that role. And then lastly, it's like, it kind of more ties into one, but it's, 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 it's just when you're making, a, when you're, when you're coming into a new club and appointing a new director, does Omar Barada think Ten Hag is the best manager for United? Because he's not, it's not about sacking. It's more like this is a new thing. They're going to want who they think is the best person for it. They didn't hire Ten Hag. So even all else aside, is Omar Barada and whoever's appointed as director, are they going to look at it and say, yeah, of all the managers in the world, Eric Ten Hag is the guy who fits what we want most of all. Because if not, then their aim is going to be to get that guy. Is there a possibility that takes longer? That maybe that person isn't available even this summer? Yeah, but you'd think they would do what they would have to to get them out if they made that decision to, to pay the money or whatever it would take. So I, I, I lean towards no for many more reasons than just results on the pitch. Uh, I think, as I heard it a long time ago, they had intended to, they really didn't want to make a change mid-season, and they intended to see how it goes and all of that. But, you know, it's, it is tricky, too, because the type of, you, you need to make decisions on this early on, well, well ahead of summer, in order to properly plan out your window and everything. And there's a limited time to prove you're the right man for the job right now. So, you know, yeah, if we go on a four or five game winning streak with amazing results and amazing performances, does that help his case? Yeah, absolutely does. Um, but he's also 100%, regardless of results, going to have to accept the role that is offered under Ineos, under Barada, under the new director, and how they want to run things. Because it is not a bottom leads the top relationship here. It's not how Ineos will, will accept uh, things at United. So that is a factor either way, um, that he would have to have to accept in order to, to, to retain his position. Yeah. Whoever is in charge of the first team and um, once any of us take over is essentially just going to be a head coach, aren't they? Rather than a manager. And um, that's what it seems like. Um, I don't see a scenario where he's going to be allowed to bring in so many players that have previously played in the, no. in the era of easy. Not going to um, happen. Not going to happen no, either way. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. Um, so one man who wants to have the job back is Jose Mourinho. I really, really do not see that happening at all. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> it's a funny rumor. It's a funny thing. But no, it's not going to happen. And it shouldn't happen for so many reasons as well. It's obviously not, when you're talking about taking the club forward, it's obviously not, uh, you know, it's not the right thing. Uh, it's it's a funny thing to think about, but 
but there's just no chance that that Jose Mourinho comes in as as Manchester United's next manager under Ineos. Uh, one of the things you know that is known about Omar Barada, and this aligns with Ineos quite well, is probably one of the reasons they like him, is he's a big fan of the evolution of and the forward progress of football. And I don't think you could pick a more antipathetical manager to that philosophy than Jose Mourinho. So, I mean, you just have to logic it. I mean, it's not based on any sort of information. It would be the most illogical appointment. And I don't think that they're in the business of making illogical appointments. Yeah, it just wouldn't make any sense. Um, yeah. To be honest, I wouldn't bring back any of the post-Fergie managers. But if you had to pick one of them, who would it be, James? It would be quite easily. I would pick uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to come back. I think because you could surround him with proper coaches, with a proper structure. I don't know that you're going to get what you need, but I think that there's a positives that he brings that that would be beneficial even for some time. Uh, but if there was one manager, it would be him. Um, I don't think I would. I wouldn't want to bring him back either, though. Personally, um, I have. I'm not saying that uh, he's the guy who's going to win you titles. I don't think any of them are the right man to take us forward, moving moving ahead. But I think you could get the most positives around and with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah, I agree entirely. Um, if I had to choose one of the the post Fergie managers to come back, it would be Solskjaer. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I could choose anyone in the world, it wouldn't be him. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, a comment here, um, Navinas, is McKenna on the list of, of coaches for the summer if Ten Hag's moved on? It's a good question. Um, I think that he is somebody that has been looked at and there's, there's, there's kind of a watchful eye and admiration for, for him. I think there's going to be a lot of managers that are looked at in general. Uh, is it, does that mean he's a, he's like a top candidate? I don't think so at the moment. Uh, I'd be surprised, but again, it, it's going to be based on that director because the thing you mentioned earlier from, from Ducker, that is something I expressed as well. You know, Ineos like Graham Potter, uh, Dave Brailsford likes Graham Potter. Is Dave Brailsford appointing the manager? No, he's going to be hiring a person and accepting their advice direction and information on making that hire same as he's accepting direction from Omar Barada on making the hire of the director of football so it's important to to kind of align information with all of that in and say well yeah I've heard Ineos like quite a few people but does the director of football like quite a few those same people does the CEO like those same people you want them to be aligned because they're the ones boots on the ground on a daily basis doing the work so I expect that we will get, if there's a change in manager, and if that is what the new director and such are looking for as we move towards the latter end of the season, I expect that we'll probably get different names than names that we've heard before. Maybe not totally different because there's not that many managers in, top, in football who you would consider for a job like this. Um, you know, there's still, you know, when you talk about player, guys like uh, Ruben Amarim, he's a, he's a manager who's very exciting, who's, who's up successful at the moment and is probably somebody to take a step like this so that i don't expect there's a million names that could come out but to say who's favored who's wanted is impossible at this point in time for sure yeah and as you say there's a real 
shortage of you know top level managers and mm. um, yeah. so, and you I mean Liverpool are going to be searching for one Barcelona are going to be searching for one so yep. it's going to be competitive this year and um, yep. you know clubs might have to make appointments for next season in April mm-hmm. um, to make yeah. sure they, they get their man and um, absolutely right yep. And I wouldn't be shocked if Thomas Tuchel leaves Bayern this summer as well. And he's yes. been linked. He's been linked with the job, and he want, He apparently wants to return to England. But I'm not sure his style of football quite fits with Manchester United. You know, he's quite a pragmatic manager. Um, could you see Ineos hiring him? I could see it because he is somebody who is highly respected in in football. I don't think he'd be my choice. I'd be a little surprised because I don't think that personally. I don't think he aligns with the ideals, the concepts that they would want to move forward. I think that they want a manager who's really going to be in alignment with a specific way of playing moving forward. And um, at the same time, you could, you could, it's weird. I, I I could see Thomas Tuchel being a bit of a, he's not though, but a bit of a transitionary manager to look at the squad you have and figure out what to get, how to get the best out of them. I just don't think that's the direction they want to go, but yeah, I would be surprised. I, I I don't think for me he's the right United manager to say, yeah, we're going to play, you know, like Klopp has with Liverpool. This is how we're going to play. This is where we're going. It's going to be, you know, an innovative and exciting way of playing. I, I don't see him as that guy. And I do think that that's what they'll want is somebody to do that. Somebody who's going to really, in alignment with the director, take a way and say, we're building towards this way. And, and, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think he's that guy. I'd be surprised if he does come into that job. I think the dream appointment would be Zinedine Zidane. Do you think Jean Claude Blanc would persuade him to take over at Old Trafford? No, I don't think that's going to happen. To be honest, as well. Yeah, I think that it's funny because I think there's somebody at United who really likes Zinedine Zidane, uh, very high up, and I think there have been discussions even in recent years over it, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's any chance of that. I think I would put that really, really, really low at this point in time from what I've I've heard as well. Yeah, I don't think he speaks English, um, certainly not fluently, and he hasn't shown any desire to to get back into management since leaving Real Madrid for the second time. And he has said that that he would like to manage the French national team, but Mm. doesn't seem like he wants to manage anywhere outside of, you know, teams that he's played for. Yeah. He's, he's not, he won't take anything that he's offered. I would say he's the type of guy that wants to make sure he has a quality team to manage. Who He wouldn't put his reputation on the line to come and work uh, under the glaciers. Like that was never going to happen. Yeah, um, exactly. That is totally true. Um, so, Xabi Alonso, that looks like it's out of the question now with Liverpool having a vacancy. Uh, if, he, if he has the choice, he's going to go to Liverpool, isn't he? Probably. I, I kind of, I'm not actually sure that they're going to pick him, uh, that they're going to end up with him in the end. I, I, I would almost be surprised if they did, but, um, and I don't really know why that is, but I would, I would almost be surprised if they ended up with him, but obviously the link there is, is common, but I mean, I could, I could see him going to Bayern. I mean, it's, it's, it's the Bundesliga. So he's the best manager in Germany, then Bayern are going to try to get him. That's just how it goes. And I think he's probably the best manager in, in the German leagues, uh, obviously based on results he is. So I expect, I think it's more likely to go somewhere like Bayern 
um, for sure. But the the Liverpool chase will be rather interesting in terms of who they bring in. I, I honestly have no idea, but there's other names. There's, there's people like Arnie Slot. Uh, there's a lot of possibilities for the manager kind of carousel this this summer. Yeah, even as Kareem here says in, in the comments, um, Julian Nagelsmann, you wouldn't be surprised mm, if you yeah. ended up with him. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool ended up with him too. That That's for sure as well, yeah. That's a, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes there. I, that That's one that kind of, I don't know, I, that one for some reason feels a bit aligned to Liverpool to me. And obviously Deserby's being linked, but I that would be a massive, a massive risk for me. I mean, even the other night, they they were destroyed four 0 by Luton Town, and you know Brighton have had a few batterings. I think Aberdeen quite recent past as well. Um, you know they they have good spells and bad spells, uh, and that's acceptable at a club like Brighton, but it's not acceptable yeah. at Manchester United. So, um, I think that would be a huge risk. Um, if I had to choose somebody who's currently in the Premier League, who's who's realistic. It would be the the Villa manager, um, Una Emery. Um, yeah, I would say the same. Actually, I think that in terms of um, possibilities, I think Una Emery. You know, his style is interesting, and what he's doing this year is obviously it's aggressive with the high line and all of that. It's, uh, but he's an impressive manager. I think he's a he's a really uh, he's a really interesting guy. I don't think that there's the you know outside of Pep or Klopp. I don't think that there's a manager in the Premier League who I think is necessarily the right guy. But I think of the rest, he's the best, uh, in my opinion. I, I agree with you there. Yeah, because obviously Klopp and Guardiola are not realistic options for Manchester United. Um, not right now, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> TJ here says Sean Dice. I think he's been flippant uh, with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so positivity after that 4-3 win last night, and hopefully we can roll on to West Ham at the weekend and get a result there. Now, David Moyes, every time he plays against United, he plays a defensive system. To me, he's shown us too much respect when he does that because I think they've got the attacking mm-hmm. players to hurt us. They don't have to play on the counter-attack, but that's what he always does. Um, we can sometimes struggle to break break down the low block, so it could be a difficult one. But I know we, we lost to them away in December, but I think we'll, we'll, we'll get the job done this time, maybe 2-1 or something like that. What do you think, James? Yeah, I think we should get a win. I mean, again, I think we'll score goals, but I, 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 I haven't felt it's hard. It, you know, if it was last season, it'd feel a lot differently, but it is, it's so hard this year because you, you just always feel like we're going to concede a, a couple goals. It just, it's just like that. And so it's like, do we have the scoring yet? to outdo that. Can we score three goals? Because if we can't score three goals, I have no confidence we'll win any game. And uh, it took four last night, but you know, usually three is enough. And um, I think we'll win. I do think we'll win. Yeah, I know. I know. I do think, I think we'll win, but we felt so many times like, Oh, is this the moment? Are we back? Are we inspired? Are, you know, are they going to build upon this? And then it falls apart and we look exactly the same in the next game as we had in prior losses. So I don't think I'm going to feel confident about saying we'll win any game until I see three, four games strung together uh, that really show that performance with this best 11. Because we started the year with some okay performances and a strong team and 
lost a lot of games too and, and really struggled at times. So I, I think this is a good test of whether we are looking forward to building something or whether it's going to be the same old, same old, regardless of the players on the pitch. Yeah, if we're going to get back in the, the Champions League race, which I think is unlikely, uh, all our games in February need to be Ws. Yes. Um, but we've got an Aston Villa away game in there, and that's probably going to be it's going to be tough to get three points in that game. Although they've, they've not been in great form of late, really. Um, obviously, Luton away. Um, I think we've got Fulham at home and West Ham at home. But yeah, they're all winnable games apart from Villa away. If we could win all those, then we might have a chance. But United have not shown the ability to win back-to-back games like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We barely we barely win two games in a row. We never mind three or four. Um, but we, we live in hope. If we can win at the weekend, then you know confidence will start to build. And yeah. with having in the strongest eleven now, providing that Martinez is, is fit at the weekend, and then and that really helps the situation. because uh, Ten Hag really needs to get wins on the board now, especially with Ineos about to take over officially. Um because he's essentially on trial. Um, yes. But yes. Yeah, and Simon here says, uh, evening gentlemen, I've just tuned in and I feel I can provide simple insight with one word infrastructure <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah 300 million that's going to go on the stadium on the, the training ground is it yeah that's the idea yep that is the idea to improve upon the 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 stadium the grounds the some some of all of that uh that needs work definitely and we couldn't sign anyone in january due to the profitability and sustainability rules with which forest and everton have already fallen foul to you you know it's not worth bringing in a new striker um and then getting deducted 10 points if you a few months later um no, so i i understand that one from united um so it's been an absolute pleasure having you on james yeah um, absolutely thanks for it i've Everyone, please like, share, and subscribe. And James, hopefully, I will have you on again in a few months' time, maybe. Sounds good. I would uh, happy to do it. And uh, stay tuned to the United Muppeteers for all the all the latest on, on Manchester United. Um, and I'll, I'll see you later. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you all. Bye. Bye.